You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. If you've not been here or you're visiting, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, rethinking it somewhat. Uh, So we've not gotten very far. It's not been my plan to go through the whole thing, but I thought there was still a part of the prayer we needed to address today. So I think it... There's different views, but we'll get to that in a minute. So it's uh, Matthew 6. We know this already here, but Jesus said, when you pray or pray then like this, he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, so we've we've looked and we've seen that this is just a model. This is a model prayer that Jesus has given us. Uh, And we've seen that by having uh, him die for us, right? We are God's children. That's the plural, our. And he is our father. So we have this exclusive privilege of prayer. And it's this communion with him. And last week we looked just at your kingdom come and we saw how the kingdom did come. Jesus brought the kingdom. It was there. It was with him. When he ascended, he did not take it back with him. It all accumulated into the end of the old covenant, the consummation of the new. It's a spiritual kingdom. And I thought it was a pretty good insight on there, uh, looking at that, that we don't have to wait for this physical type of kingdom to come. Uh, and so this part here that we're dealing with, too, is we're going to be dealing with some of the confusions that are there, I think, as well. All right. So it was by means of the spiritual. It was the better. It's the substance, which is Jesus. OK, Christ in him, his work accomplished in all that he has done. So, um, I, I, you know, I just, I wanted to, to, to look at this prayer just to hit upon and explain some of these first parts we've looked at because of the importance of them uh, in the lives of the first century church and for us to have a better understanding of being children of God. Uh, being children in his kingdom and collect like i've said collectively as the body in christ as the head all right so this kingdom is spiritual and we're in it and we get to this part here that says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and it needs to be addressed because there's many views out there that (laughs) that everyone says these like we got to do all this stuff okay so uh two major ones and they're complete opposites okay so the first one is the Calvinist view, right, of 
God's will because it says your will be done. Now, the Calvinist view, if you're not familiar, you know, there's two groups of people and, you know, Calvinists were more Arminian. Okay. Uh, Calvinists have all sorts of weird views, I think, that aren't scriptural, but they can make a very solid biblical case for it. But they don't believe Jesus died for everyone. They just believe he died for some. All right. So they seem to put this huge emphasis on God's sovereignty. And God's sovereignty is very complicated. Um, it's a sovereign will. So anything that happens, it's always God's sovereign, right? Uh, this happened. Well, God's sovereign. <laughs> you know, it almost, they sometimes seem mysteriously drunk with this concept of the sovereignty of God. So I'm not going to say that God's not sovereign. He is. He ha there's a secret will. The Bible says this. There's the secret, like, decreed will that we don't know what it is. All right? But they say everything, 100% of everything has been predetermined, completely planned out. Everything that we do happens because he's in control. If he loses, like, one molecule out of the fabric of the time-space continuum, the whole thing falls apart, pretty much. That's how they see it, right? Um, if you get sick, God willed it. He permitted it. It'll be his will then if you make it or not, right? So they see the Father as uh, giving people cancer and doing these things, and people will say, well, God chose to give me cancer, so I'll praise him for that. That's sort of a weird view. Um, you know, I, as a father, thinking my son would be like, well, my dad beat me until I was black and blue, so I'm still just going to love him for that. It's sort of weird, you know what I mean? Okay, so there's that. <laughs> and it always goes back to his sovereignty all the time. Now, he's sovereign, but it's complicated. I've tried to tackle it. I've tried to understand it. I don't think we can. Uh, I don't think we can know ex everything about the Lord. That's why these things are secret, uh, some of these things. What we do know has been revealed, okay? Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else there on that crazy. <laughs> there's Calvinists I like, okay? There's Calvinists and Reformists I, I really do like because they know the word, all right? But every, oh, here's what I was going to say. Almost every time when they start their biblical case for God's sovereignty, it's almost always Old Testament text. Almost always. And we should be taking the New Covenant in that light and what Jesus has done on the cross, and I'll, I'll point that out later, and, and look at that and what's going on here. Okay, so there's all these crazy things in the Old Testament. Uh, some is, yeah, it's God, but sometimes it's God under the circumstances of an Old Covenant too. All right, so... You have that way over here. Total other side of it. It's just probably charismatic, very charismatic view of God. God's will is everything that's good. Like you can't be poor. He doesn't want you poor. There's no poverty in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. None of this is like that's none of that's God's will. All right. So if it's bad, if it's anything bad, it's not of God. So it's our job to bring heaven to earth, right? That's what they want to do. Bring heaven to earth all the time. Okay. <laughs> right? Uh, 
They refuse to have a theology that allows sickness in it. Um, and, it, you know, so many other things. I could just go on and on about the charismatic. <laughs> I'm not dissing all the charismatics. Very broad term, just like Calvinists. Uh, but we have to bring heaven to earth. This is what we are to do. Because it says right here, on heaven as it is on earth, therefore, we should all be rich. We should all be healthy. Everything's got to be good. Rainbows and unicorns all the time, right? Okay. That's basically the two views. Now, if you know me, I like to find a radical middle <laughs> because I think both are a little off. So I have problems with both views because one, one's just like, it is what it is. Everything's planned out 100%. God allows us to pray, though, to make us feel like we have a part in this thing. Like, what's the point? What's the point then in praying? If God gives you cancer, how are you supposed to pray for healing? I don't know. Just saying. If I could have more conversations with Calvinists, maybe I would find out more. But they usually are like, you're Arminian. <laughs> and they're, they're sort of, some are mean. All right. They are. Some are rude. Okay. <laughs> so, then, but ultimately, it, it just doesn't matter how you're praying or what you're doing because God's God and he's going to do whatever he wants to do because he's sovereign, right? The other view then is focused so much on us that it makes it seem like we actually have this ability to bring the actual heaven to earth because the view of the kingdom and heaven is skewed, right? Now, they're waiting, just like dispensationalists, like I said last week, they're waiting for a physical, visible heaven or a kingdom to manifest on earth. And they're making the same mistake as the first century Jews did when Jesus didn't bring that. Because it's spiritual. All right. So the kingdom is here, they think, but we still have to bring bring it right. We have to bring heaven here and heaven Heaven there is nothing bad, so nothing bad should be here, at least not in the Christian's life, right? So no sickness, no, no poverty, like I said. Whatever the problem is, though, if you experience those things, the problem is on your end, right? You lack faith. You're not given enough. You're not, you know, you lack vision or dream or destiny or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's always burdensome because the problem's on your end. Not God's. <clears throat> and not that it would be on God's side, but if something's not happening, it's your fault, basically. Right? It's burdensome. Okay, so. That view also puts words in God's mouth, I think, which I think is we shouldn't be doing. I think we have enough words here from the Lord. <laughs> but when we start speaking... On God's behalf, and we don't know 100% sure about it, like, hey, God doesn't want you sick, or God doesn't want you doing this, or working this job, or whatever. It's borderline. Speaking on him, it could be blasphemy, I think, to speak words that God may or may not be saying. Uh, there's a lack of reverence in there, I think, for that, into actually seeing what God's will is, instead of making up your own will of what you think God's will is, Okay. So, um, so heaven doesn't want you sick or poor, right? That, th these are the two views. Or God allows or permits you to be sick or poor. So, 
I don't believe this is the will, though, that this is talking about here. Okay? This is not that will. The will here is the revealed will of God that we have in his word. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we put too much emphasis here on this as it is in heaven part. If you think about it, if you know the scripture, I mean, there, there was some, some stuff, crazy stuff going on in heaven. <laughs> the devil's going up to, to, to God and talking about things. I mean, Michael, the archangel is casting the dragon out or whatever that imagery is. It could be whether it was Satan falling or not, but there's a war that breaks out in heaven. Well, I guess that's why we have wars then because there's wars in heaven. I don't know. That's a weird view, right? So this, this is God's revealed will involves conduct that is pleasing to him. And it's revealed in scripture. It's, it's easy. All right. So I, I actually want to give you a quote from a very famous popular Calvinist that I found. But this quote's from 1986. So I don't believe he would stand on this anymore. It's from John MacArthur, actually. He's full-on Calvinist, all right? And he's all about the absolute sovereignty of God all the time. But this is sort of where I would fall on this topic. Like I said, he probably doesn't stand by this now. That's why you probably shouldn't write books until you're fully, fully on, <laughs> convicted of your views, okay? So, he says, The statement, thy will be done in earth, assumes that God's will is not always done here. Not everything that happens in the world is God's will. Otherwise, the petition is pointless, right? If you go into the house of a family who has lost a child to a disease or an automobile accident, you may hear someone say, it was the Lord's will for that to happen. You may hear a mother dying from cancer who is needed by her husband and children, and someone will say, this is the Lord's will. So disasters such as floods, earthquakes... Uh, fires, wrecks, crashes, all these things, famine are frequently explained away as being the Lord's will. But if you look at the life with that kind of perspective, there will be no energy in your prayer life. This may sound heretical, but God does not will for tragic things to happen. Jesus came into the world to stop the problems we have. Second Peter 3.9 tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. He's full on Calvinist, right? <laughs> he should take his own words. There are people dying all over the world every day, but God does not will that they die without becoming saved and coming to a knowledge of the truth. Unfortunately, many people don't become saved before they die. So God's will is done in heaven, but it's not always done on earth. Like I said, he probably would not stand <laughs> behind that statement anymore okay so god is sovereign but how much and how so it's complicated i don't know i don't have the answer for you guys on that one but god is also good and jesus represented him perfectly right we know this hebrews 1 3 it says he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature that's ESV. Um, the NLT says the sun radiates 
God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Okay, so if God's will is always going to be done anyway, right? Like the Calvinists say, like, why does Jesus tell us to pray this, right? So th- there, there is what I said uh, is a secret will of decree of God. And there is his revealed will which is a moral will. All right, so if there's a secret will that's being carried out no matter what, and we don't know what that is, that's not for us to know. So let's not be too consumed about that, I don't think. Um, I'm not going to try to rack my brain and go crazy trying to figure this out. All right? But to to know how much and to what extent we don't know, I don't think we should think that we know so much about it. To put so much of an emphasis on it, right? That it becomes, well, the storm destroyed my house, right? Must have been God's will. It is what it is. Because people do that, you know? Uh, had somebody recently, he's older. He's like, I don't think I'm going to outlive this roof. But storm, if a storm comes and the Lord decides to take it off, well, I guess he wants to take it off. It's like, okay. <laughs> no i i think we live in a world where things still happen based on how everything was created to work and be sustained okay it may be weird to some people though they look at the creation account and say well god did this and he said it was good but how did god create the world how did he create the universe all right we, we have to eat or we will die, right? God's not going to keep us alive for 60 years supernaturally if we decide to stop eating because that's ignorance, right? It's not great faith. It's not. You're going to die if you don't eat, all right? So a- after this fall of Adam that took place in the garden, right, did the earth just grow tectonic plates, and begin to have earthquakes. Like that's been my issue with dealing with this. Like because of sin, right? All of a sudden the earth just decides to release its pressure and shift and do all these things that that stuff does and volcanoes, I don't know. I don't know much about it, but it's as if people act like it was so perfect, none of that was ever going to happen. Right? Just like physical death. That wasn't going to happen. We've gone over that though, right? On that day you eat of it, you will surely die. Did he die physically and drop dead? No. He died spiritually. He lived hundreds of years. If he did not die physically that day, then God's a liar because he said, you will die that day. He died spiritually. All right? Same with this, all this, the earth thing. So people say it all comes in corrupts animals like all of a sudden lions just grew big claws and fangs and started attacking other animals and eating them like no like they had to have been created in that way the hebrew word for lion in one instance in the bible actually means violence so if adam named the lion lion he saw it acting violently (laughs) so that's interesting right so Did the fall create these things or did God create them 
with all that like the way it is, right? Because it's needed, right? Death and decay going back into the soil, all that type of stuff. Animals, the circle of life, you guys get it, all right? So people get so tied up in these things, they think there were no mosquitoes in the garden. <laughs> See what, you know, they're like, there had to have been no mosquitoes. And if, if they were, they didn't bite and suck blood. Okay, well, then they just automatically turn into that after the fall then, right? Like, when, when we start to think this way, if it happened once sin came along, I think that's silly, but everything had to be been created already. Everything was going along as it was supposed to function. But to say then that sin gave the earth tectonic plates or made mosquitoes suck blood suggests that it has this creative power, right? But only God has that. Now it distorts, sin distorts, it, it, you know, the identity of sin took place in Adam and Eve. But it didn't like make them like, oh, like do something totally opposite, right? <clears throat> well, I mean, they disobeyed. But <laughs> so we can't understand this sovereign type of will that Calvinists try to explain, right? It's complicated, but we are to understand the moral will of God, which is revealed in the Bible, okay? So I... I I don't, I don't think his sovereign will consist of destruction or anger within the new covenant, okay? Now, I want to make clear, I know we've talked a lot about destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and all that that took place in 70 AD. That happened after the cross. Oh, so why was all this stuff that happened after the cross? Because that was the end of the old covenant. If you look at Deuteronomy, there's curses, right? Along with the blessings in the old covenant, these things had to be carried out. Okay. So, if I don't think there's destruction or anger in the new covenant and Jesus was the exact imprint of God, then we see I can I can prove part of that. All right? Luke 9 Luke chapter 9 51 and 56. Now, this is the <clears throat> New American Standard Version, because some translations don't have the last part of this. It says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and entered a village of the Samaritans, all right, to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him. All right, they didn't want him. Because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. So when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them. All right, And this is where some translations don't have this part. And he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. All right, so they're acting like what? They're thinking of like old, the, the Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha, all this. Let's call down fire and kill them. No, you don't know what spirit you're of. I don't do that, right? He's the exact imprint then of God, the Father, shows then God didn't like to do these things, right? So... In, in context of that, 
how do you think the term will then is being used in this text, right? Your will be done. It's a reference to his moral will. That when we pray, cause your will to be done in earth, we are praying for practical sanctification, holiness, things like that, okay? We are praying that God's moral will would be done on earth. Not trying to bring the heaven to earth and all that type of stuff. All right, so when we come before the Lord and pray this, it should first and foremost be a personal prayer. It should be between us and the Father. If God's will, right, is not being done in our lives, why would we ask him to do it in somebody else's or on the earth, right? So since God has revealed his moral will to us in his word, how can we pray that his will be done if we are ignorant of his word? We need to know his word, right? Because it's by the word of God and his will is, is then revealed to us by the word. The Holy Spirit applies it, illuminates, opens the eyes of our heart, opens the word that that is his will revealed. So we're asking that our walk and our will might be brought into obedience to God's word. All right. I think it's pretty simple, but it's also important then that we read the word. We know how to rightly divide the word of truth how to interpret it. We read, we can meditate upon the word and there's so much fullness that we can meditate on it day and night, right? And we're always going to find some new stuff or other things are going to start to come into uh, alignment here. But how, how can we come before the Lord then and say, cause your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven if we neglect to study his word and we don't know it? So as we read and study the Bible, we learn that God's, we learn what God's moral will is. So people are going to, you know, you guys, well, what's his will? So we should be praising, uh, praying, cause your will to be done. Uh, your will to be done in my life, right? It's like in my life, that's going to be done here on earth. <clears throat> and so it's a prayer for power and strength that we might live out God's will in our day-to-day -day lives. So it's not complicated, right? It's not about your vision or your dreams or destinies. We get really wrapped up in that. It's not about creating some sort of atmosphere or culture of honor, despite whatever cost it is on theology or the word of God and stuff like that. It's, none of that stuff is there because it's not about us, Right? It's about him, all right? So far too many people are consumed with crying out to God about what his will is for them in their lives when it's already in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, 100% everything's in there. There's decisions you have to make. There's things that we have to decide to do, and we pray to the Lord to ask for that guidance. But for the most part, most of it's already here, if we could just understand that things that we do already are okay. You know, how many of you have heard, I, I know I rip on these types of sermons and stuff, but have you heard so many like on TV and stuff, like, are you just like, oh, like day in and day out, I go to work and I go home and I have to clean, I'm a parent, and they're like ripping on the good things that you've actually been created for in Christ to do. So they make you think that your life is no good 
because they want to try to get you riled up to go for something bigger and better, right? Because if you're not dreaming the, you know, the God size impossible dream and all that type of stuff, then you're not, you're not really living life. But the Bible says, you know, good parent, good father, good mother, good husband, good wife, a good child, good worker, a good employee. All these things are good things. God is pleased with these things. Okay. So one of the first things then is that we should just rejoice always. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know the will of God for you? There it is. Rejoice always. It's hard, I understand, but don't base your rejoicing on feelings and emotions because God is not a feeling and emotion. Peace that he gives is not an emotion, right? Righteousness and joy. These aren't feelings. Philippians 2, uh, 4 and 7, it says, uh, Each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Now that that scripture gets misused a lot. They say God emptied himself of his divinity, ceased to be God while he was just a man on earth. I'm not going to get into that, but he, he didn't. What he did was he emptied his glory. He clothed his glory. We see that revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the point is here is that he humbled himself, took on being a bondservant, right? In the likeness of man. Taking the form of a servant, it says. He was a servant. Like, we are servants. We belong to God. We serve one another. So, the, the will of the Father is that we walk in Christ because we're placed in Christ, Right? That we be others oriented, that we love our brothers and sisters. All right. It's God's moral will that we live this type of life. It's a sanctified life. You're sanctified. You're set apart. You're holy. You're righteous because it's all Jesus's and you're placed in him. Now, Ephesians 4, uh, 29 through 32. I know we spent (laughs) a long time in Ephesians, like 17 weeks. But there's good things in there. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So on earth as it is in heaven should direct our attention to obedience to God's will. The heart of true prayer is not, Lord, give me this, give me that, do my will, right? But Lord, prepare my heart's desire and strengthen me to do your will. It seeks to know that his will is so our hearts will truly come in this right place in him, before him, through him, 
That true meditation of studying and meditating on his word is of our heart then is directed to knowing this revealed will of the Lord. And then we walk in the ways that are pleasing to him, right? So it means we're committing ourselves to learning all we can then about what is revealed here in his word, about his will, which means spending time in the word. <laughs> A commitment to do his will is by, by his grace as much as we know how to do it. All right. So there's other things, too. And we could just go, you know, that we're to speak truth and love, not commit adultery, not get drunk. All these things, you know, Ephesians 4, 15, rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That's Jesus from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is his will. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality, all right? Every other sin uh, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, it says. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's always all these things in here. Will, the will, his will, his will, know his will, do his will, live his will. Like here it is. Do, 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 do. We pray your will be done as an acknowledgement of God's rule and reign in our lives. Okay? Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. That's Ephesians 6, 6, 8. This is the Christian life. We are to be doing the will of God from the heart. And this is actively living in and obeying God's revealed will that's in his word. All right. So again, it's simple. What is God's will? Right. It's his moral will. Jesus tells us that we are to love God and love our neighbor. Right. We are to love as he loved. Our response to God's moral will is obedience. All right. And we all struggle with selfishness. I get that, right? I've said it before. Depending on how I feel about myself that day is going to be dependent on how I love my neighbor, right? But we all, we all struggle with that. Right? It's, it, it can be, often seem hard to love God and our neighbor, all right? But as hard as that is, we are in Christ. He is our strength. We obey His will. That's revealed in Scripture. It just starts to become part of the result of being made new. 
All right, so we should know Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right? Salvation is not our own doing. It's not a result of works, but good works provide no basis. We know there's no basis whatsoever for boasting because they're worthless to save us. The only foundation for salvation is Christ. We are saved by his works, not ours. And we learn that good works are the result, all right, the result, not the cause, of our being new creations. And they testify to the fact that we have been redeemed so that our lives might reflect the craftsmanship and character of God, our Father. So good works are also the result then of being united to Christ in union with him. So in Christ, we are created to perform these God-honoring acts that are obedient. And we can be confident that God accepts us because we're in him. And Paul further states that good works are the result of God's pattern for the Christian life. Like, we have no need to wonder what God requires of us, okay? That shouldn't be a question because he's told us in his word. You're qualified through repentance and grace and faith. You're in Christ. The good works are deeds done that are in conformity to, to, to God's word. So all these then are a result of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven it's not all about all way over there, that sovereignty. It's not all about the signs and wonders. It's not all about your success and your dreams. It's about these things. It's about being dedicated to the apostles' teachings, being in Christ, walking by his word, knowing his word, living his word. Right? So when the gospel takes root in our lives, it always produces what? A fruit. Fruit of the spirit. But I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, right? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, that's a lot, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the Spirit enables us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling to pursue God's will in Christ-like lives. So Paul, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Remember that part? We're not to create the unity. It's already been established. We maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And this is the will of God in our lives, that we are in Christ, we're created for good works in him, in the kingdom of God. On earth as uh, representatives as it grows like a mustard seed in heaven. As it is uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what I believe this this is instead of all the other things. So 